Welcome to episode 40 of the Different Doctor Same Old Shit podcast. Each week we watch a story based on Doctor Order and dissect it. I'm Mo from France and to my west it's the radiant and delightful Doctor L. How you doing Doc? Uh, Le Quesant as ever. You know it's um, it's cold and dry at the moment so I'm actually not as Le Quesant as I get in uh, in the seven months but um, delighted to be here. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, this is sort of early enough in the in the cycle um, for my determination to find redemption in what we're watching to be sort of fairly unsullied. And we've, we've, we've had a good run. Um, mm-hmm. We've had a run of great stories. And sure. um, I feel like any sort of karmic debt that I incur for the next few weeks is is, is thoroughly deserved. <laughs> Um, deserved, Doctor. You, you deserve punishment. Well, I, I'm still not quite sure what I deserve to did de- de- deserve all the flux, but sure. Um, sure. Yeah, you, you must have done some truly awful things in your past life, Doc. Just, just ask Glenn Hoddle all about it. Um. Well, it's, you know, if Gareth Southgate can bounce back, then so can I. That's true. That's true. From uh, yeah, are you talking about the missed penalty or the Pizza Hut advert, Doc? Both of which I think were equal crimes against humanity. Um, it, it was actually the missed penalty I was talking oh, about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's very Remind good. me, rem- who was? <laughs> Even though neither of us are ravishing beauties ourselves. There was a footballer from about that era, and you and I just couldn't help commenting on how fucking ugly the bloke was whenever he came on to uh-huh. that. Are we talking about Peter Beardsley by any chance? Um, I don't think it was. It, it was. Right. It was like it was some bloke, and not only did 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 he have a face like shaped like um shaped like a, shaped like a farming plow. Yeah, <laughs> shaped. He had a face shaped like a farming plow with. An enormous, like, very long and very deep nose, but with no girth. Um, and I, I can't remember whether he had a colossal overbite or a colossal <laughs> underbite. Um, yeah. the, the underbite's worse, isn't it, of the two? You, you, surely that's worse, isn't it? Yeah, you, you look like the fucking alien queen. <laughs> oh, Got a low jaw like a filing cabinet drawer. That's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I, 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 I must try and remember who that man was, um, because a, a pair of fairly repulsive-looking individuals like us, but both, both felt moved to comment on how ugly the man was. <laughs> what have you been up to, Doc? Um, <clears throat> doing some work, um, trying to ignore the fact that winter exists. Sure. Um, I don't particularly think of myself as being obsessive compulsive or even that much of a completist but when I watch things um, or when I get onto anything that's part of any genre I have a really really hard time putting it down for at least quite a while Mm -hmm. Um, I if if you remember um, I watched a sort of a a couple of um, Italian mystery thrillers um, in preparation for the ambassadors of death, um, and that's something else that I haven't been able to put down since. 
Um, so I uh, uh, I was watching the Bloodstained Butterfly last night. Oh, there we go. Well, why don't we move into what are we watching then in that kind of stuff? So the Bloodstained Butterfly, what, what about it? Um, I suppose um, for a kind of film that has a sort of reputation that goes before it, um, I'm a little surprised at how innocuous most of them are and what sort of putatively happy endings many of them have got. Sure. Um, the first time Butterfly does not have a particularly happy ending, although it does have an ending that's very clearly influenced by the Italian-influenced Jacobean drama that you and I know and love. Revenge's Tragedy we're talking about? Yeah. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. And the Spanish tragedy and Tis Pity She's a Whore and um, sure. uh, Volpone. Um, sure. and things like that uh, it, it's um, the the last few minutes is a lot of people shooting and stabbing each other and um, mm. like uh, um, a big warehouse full of bodies at the end mm. um, but I think I expected them to be a lot grimmer and a lot darker and I'm actually pleased and excited to discover that many of them are fun and breezy and um, they're more enjoyable than I expected, I'll put it that way. Yeah, good, good. Yeah, do, 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 Inevitably, you know, I, I like me a bit of um, kind of Italian cinema, particularly from, you know, late 70s. Late, I think my, my favourite period for Italian cinema is, you know, like 1975, 76 through to about 19... 88 i reckon that's that's my that's my period of italian cinema that i really really love so sort of starting with let's say the house by the cemetery that's it you got it um or possibly the beyond and then like going up to um uh the washing machine or like, like, like the tail end of like the the, the lamberto bava oeuvre so, you know, you like sort of, uh, classics like Demons 2, for example. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I love it. Um, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to tell you what I have been watching. Instead, I'm going to tell you what I am not watching. And what I'm not watching, and I will not watch any more, is either iteration of Battlestar Galactica. There are those who believe that life here began out there. Far across the universe, with tribes of humans who may have been the forefathers of the Egyptians, or the Toltecs, or the Mayans. Some believe that there may yet be brothers of man who even now fight to survive somewhere beyond the heavens. I'm done with them, Doc. I've tried, and I'm done. Um, I really, really enjoyed 
like the 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 the, the like the revamp of, of of BSG when it, when it was yeah. first being transmitted back in two thousand five through to about two thousand nine two thousand ten something like that. Um, but are you going to tell know, me it's dated horribly in the last ten years? It hasn't dated, um, but I think it's me that it's me that's changed, not it. Um, it is so po-faced, so lacking mm -hmm. in any kind of humour. I, I just find it objectionable. Um, I understand that they're going for kind of gritty realism. I get that. But I think by removing any kind of humour from it, they actually fail in that quest. Because I think part of, the, part of human nature, the human spirit, is that no matter how bleak things become, you know, there's always somebody cracking a joke, you know, yeah. with proper fucking gallows humour. Um, and, uh, and so just kind of removing that from it entirely. Um, and I don't know, as I'm getting older, you know, maybe, I, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe I get all of the misery I need from the fucking news. So, you know, so I don't need it in my entertainment media. Um, you know, j just say something light-hearted for once, you, you fucking, you know, bunch of miserable bastards. Um, so I, I think I'm done with it, Doc. The the thing that put me off, um, before I even watched it, and I never have, and it was one one review I read, and it it, it really really liked it, and it said, um, you know, um, instead of concentrating on how will the human race be saved, it concentrates on the central question of is is the human is the human race worth saving? Sure. And my, my my instinctive reaction to that was, um, well, that's not that's not your fucking decision to make, is it? Program uh -huh. making. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know when, um, if you spend, oh, I don't know, let's say. 30 years speaking to as much of the human race as you possibly can in 30 years, wasting no time and taking no holidays. Um, and then you seriously collate all of the evidence you've gathered. Mm. Um, well, then I may allow you to speak. Mm. Um, and that was what put me off the, the thing from the very beginning. And it, it's for a long time, as soon as I've, I get wind of the fact that the the high concept of a thing or the the philosophy it claims to have at the outset is more important than ooh, I don't know, storytelling or characters or scripts. Yeah. Then I really can't be bothered with it. Yeah, yeah. I agree, Doc. Um, you know, lighten up. Stop taking yourself so fucking seriously. It's a sci-fi show. You know, this isn't fucking Dost Dostoevsky, for Christ's sake. You know, entertain me. Don't fucking lecture me, basically. Um, yeah, so I'm done with that. And, and and the old BSG, I mean, I didn't really expect to get through all of it. But, but it's only got 24, 25 episodes. I thought maybe there was a possibility. Um, but 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 just like the the soapy nature of it, especially when 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 the like the Dirk Benedict uh, Starbuck character keeps fucking pop, popping up like a like a bad fart <laughs> in a lift. Um, <laughs> oh, thanks. No, that's what I'm done. That's it. That's what I'm not watching, Doc. Um, corrections. We've only got one, um, and it's only a small one, really. But but you know, we, we, we should have got this right, really. The monster at the end of Ghostbusters. 
He's not called the Snow Puff Man, Doc. He's called the Stay Puff Man. Stay Puff Man. That's yeah. it. What were we thinking? Yeah. Good God. We shall be ashamed of ourselves. Doc, shall we get on with the show? Yes, let's. Welcome to part one of the show, which we call TARDIS Talk. It's topic of the week, eight. Um, Doc, give me a number between one and twelve, if you would. Um, four, please. Number four, a quick scan. Oh, here we go. Um, cosplaying, Doc. Thoughts? Um, on the whole, I generally approve of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but... Right, because I'm me, and I can't not add caveats and, and, and mumblings to absolutely everything, um, <laughs> I approve of dressing up in general. Sure. Uh, um, I mean, I I think people should dress up more. Mm. Um, and I think people should, if they're comfortable doing so, um, should push the limits of the clothes that they think are acceptable to wear under the circumstances in which they're wearing them. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, since cosplayers are so set at that, um, I just sort of intrinsically approve of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Have you ever done it? I mean, I've incorporated elements of Doctor Who-type clothing um, into my everyday attire. Yeah. Um, I've had a long scarf and a long overcoat. Yeah. Um, done that. Don't regret it. Not remotely ashamed of it. Mm. Um, uh, I, I've, I'm not invested enough in the creative textiles side of things to like, particularly make a complete outfit. Um, and yeah, that's that's the beginning of the and, and, and the end of it. Really, I'm 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 not invested enough in textiles as a creative activity mm. to really go in for it a lot myself um i don't see I, I don't see the point in buying stuff off the peg honestly okay um and i it it seems to me that that's kind of a bit of a betrayal of what the thing is um in its spirit you know you, I, the the whole idea of at least 50 percent of the idea of cosplay is that you should make your own stuff and um, sort of a, a, a make the best attempt you can um, yeah, to reproduce what... There's an element of craft involved, isn't there? Well, I think there, I think there is, a, I, I think at least there should be. Sure. Um, I need to stop being such an old fart and, and whether or not I think it's a good thing or a bad thing. And if anyone wants to say, well, since you don't do it, you've got no right to speak on the subject. Um, and maybe that's true, but whether or not I think it's a good thing or a bad thing, when something becomes popular enough, a manufacturing uh, cottage industry will grow up around it. Um, if someone spots the fact that lots of people are, um, you know, wearing a coat like the one that a character in a, t- in, in a popular television series wears, then people will start making them and, and, and then people will buy them. Sure. Um, and since I'm putatively in favour of free enterprise, if not capitalism, then um, I can't actually say that people shouldn't be doing that. Um, and 
you know, the the rules as I learned them at the end of the nineties was that um, if you if you do cosplay, and particularly if you do, do do it competitively at conventions or what have you, then one of the things that you must expect to be judged on is the success or failure of your own efforts in creating yes. the thing. Yeah, there's no doubt that people do. Um, you know, like buy stuff based on what they're seeing on TV. You know, Converse sales saw a, a big spike apparently because David Tennant was wearing them as the uh, you know as, as the Doctor. That's interesting. Oh, yeah. well, if, if it's an off-the-shelf item, that, that's that's completely different. Sure. Uh -huh. um, I learned completely by accident that um, Benedict Cumberbatch's coat that he wore in Sherlock. Yeah. Um, was um, it wasn't quite an off-the-shelf item, but it was a boutique item that a, a, a particular cha uh, tailor on German Street was um, was was able to make for people, um, and not because it was advertised, not because it was sold as merchandise, um, but I mean that's that's no different of someone you saw and thought that they looked good, and that's mm -hmm. been going for as long as there's clothing, surely. Of course, no. Of course, yes. Yeah, we, you know, we, we, we all kind of observe what people are wearing around us, and the, and, and that informs our buying choices, doesn't it? Uh, I make absolutely no bones about the fact that um, I tried to find out what suit David Duchovny wore in the X Files, and I tried to get one like it. Mm -hmm. If you're skinny and angular looking, it's often quite hard to find. A suit that doesn't make you look like a refugee. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I still rock from time to time a uh, like drainpipe jeans uh, with with a, a t shirt and a, and a suit jacket and uh, and that and that all stems from um, um, well like Kirk Hammett back in the day and then Herman Lee from Dragon Force. Oh, there you go. Yeah, sure. Yeah, uh -huh. no doubt about it. We are influenced. So, yeah. So I mean. Uh, Looking at people who you think look stylish or who look good or whose clothes you like and copying them, um, I mean, that's just nothing but participating in fashion now. Isn't of course, it? yeah. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I don't necessarily think that is or claims to be cosplay. Cosplay, I think, has a, a fairly narrow definition, which is trying to pull off as damn near as you can um, a mimetic representation of not just the style, but the actual literal physical appearance of a character, mm. uh, right the way up to hair color, hair style, yeah. um, body adornments, yeah. makeup, um, whatever it takes. Mm. Mm. Where do you stand on the on the notion that you kind of have to, you have, if you're doing kind of cosplay or fancy dress, whatever, that you kind of have to stay within your kind of racial profile you know for example if i wanted to go to a fancy dress party and i wanted to go as my favorite star trek captain well that would be benjamin cisco who happens to be a black man would it be wrong for me to to go dressed as benjamin cisco in in celebration of his fabulous character and fabulous acting ability God. 
minstrelsy in blackface is a fucking bag of worms, isn't it? Yeah, um, it, 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 it's sketchy, isn't it, man? I, it, it may be that in the future, some comfortable compromise. Um, I think it would be. I don't think it would be if if you were to appear in public in blackface um, or minstrel makeup. I think it would be at least extremely insensitive. Mm. Um, I mean, it, it comes back to like those 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 sort of freedom of speech, freedom of speech, and freedom of expression issues that you and I don't always particularly agree about. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think an interesting point of compromise we reached is that um, there is such a thing as wrong place, wrong time. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and at this particular, I mean, maybe in the future, circumstances will change and some appropriate signifier will be found by which um, people can, can, can make themselves up. As a, per- as a person of different ethnicity. At the moment, at this particular point in history, I think it's such a hot topic, um, and it appears to genuinely hurt the feelings of a lot of people. I think it would at least be grossly insensitive of you to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, but, but then following on from that, um, would it be equally as offensive for you to use small prostheses and give yourself slant eyes to appear as a, a, a character of Chinese origin? Sure, yeah. Or, 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 or you know, you know, for a, a like a, a heterosexual individual to go as a gay character or a transgender character, it's it's complex, Doc. Um, it, and then, like, where do you stop then? Is it... Mm-hmm. Um, is there something wrong with a person actually of Asian origin cosplaying as a character from Japanese animation and wearing blue contact lenses because the character has blue eyes? Sure. Mm-hmm. Even though that person is not of Northern European origin. Of course. Yeah. Where, do, where does um, it end, basically? Where does it end? Well, it, you mean, know, uh, as a person from, you know, let's say Birmingham, you know, I'm not quite Birmingham, but close enough, you know, is, is it acceptable for me to... You know, is, is it acceptable for me to to, to to fake a Scottish accent and put on a fucking Jimmy hat and a kilt? Is that okay? I don't know. I don't know the answer, Doc. Um, I, I think that there's, there's a couple of things we, we can say absolutely definitely. Um, blackface is such a fucking universal no-no at this point in history. Um, I think at the very least you would be asking for stern criticism mm. mm-hmm. um, and would be deserving of it if you got it. Um, I, I mean, I, I think pretty much it's up there with wearing swastikas mm-hmm. at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and you wouldn't do that, would you? Mm-hmm. Well, maybe to a Slayer show, though. You never know. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'd accept that if the Slayer show you were going to was at the Brixton Academy and you walk from the tube station to... Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, like that scene in... Um, is it Die Hard 3? Yes. Where Bruce Willis is forced to wear the sandwich board that says, I hate niggers in Harlem. <laughs> yes. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yippee-ki-yay, motherfucker. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Um, if you... Um, if you had to walk the length of, um, of the Brixton Road, then I, I'd, I'd absolutely endorse you wear, um, having uh, wearing swastikas. Then, 
cosplay is is is, is weird. It is become so much enmeshed in the semiotics of a specific kind of identity politics that um, has has really taken a cultural centre stage. I'm, I, I want to say definitely since the year 2012. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, it's kind of much too big of a subject for our little discussion topic. Of course. Um, we're, just we're, we're just kind of bullet pointing at, at this point, aren't we? Yeah. Um, I mean, if um if you um if you cosplay as a transgender person mm -hmm. now if i've got this right transvestism is included as a subset of transgenderism okay i'm not sure about so, that but i'll go with it um if you cosplay as a transgendered person which is to say you wear girls clothes um are you now not playing at it are you now not actually doing it well that, that, that's a that's a great question isn't it yes yeah, yeah really 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 interesting yeah yes look, I mean, the, the semantics of it is it, fascinating um in in other aspects of, ident of, of identity politics i feel like i could give you very firm answers um like um buying a t-shirt with an anarchy symbol on it and a pair of tight jeans um and spraying your hair green and dressing up like that does not make you punk rock. Mm -hmm. um, there's a whole bunch of political and ethical and lifestyle, etc., etc., stuff that, that that goes along with it. Mm -hmm. um, so I know this is still indeterminate, but if we accept for a second that transvestism is one kind of transgenderism, mm -hmm. um, and as usual, if people have, if people know stuff about this because um, I'm by and large guessing, but if people know stuff about this and would like to join in the conversation, then by all means get in touch. Please. Um, in order to be a transvestite, don't I just have to wear girls' clothes? <laughs> I, I, mean, I think you're right. Yeah, Eddie Izzard is probably the most famous um, transvestite. Oh, maybe, maybe Lily Savage, you know, uh, Danny LaRue, you know, these are transvestite, but are they transgender, Doc? I don't fucking know. I'm not sure. Well, um, doesn't it depend on what on, on how they identify? Yeah, yeah, it's this kind of self-identification thing, isn't it? I suppose. Yeah, if it, um, if I self-identify as a twelve-year-old French girl, does that does that make me a twelve-year-old French girl? Don't know, Doc. We're getting into we're getting into stuff that means a lot to a lot of people now, um, and I'm going to have to start putting my hand in the air. A little bit too often and start confessing that i'm actually talking about stuff that i don't really understand and i've got no experience of sure um so i'm not going to do that um it's one of those discussions that i would be happier being present at rather than taking part in myself because <laughs> my ability and my qualification for taking part in it is running very short that's all right, Doc. I understand. I understand what you're saying. Yeah, let's move on and, and kind of get, get get on with the show because you know, obviously, time is an issue too. And as you very well know, Doc, after after this recording, I'm going. I am going to a fancy dress party dressed as Mr. T. So let's let's press on, Doc. <laughs> <laughs> um, if you want to get in contact, guys, and help us out with this subject, please feel free to because we are very very interested. Uh, you could do that by contacting us uh, via email at different Doc sos at gmail.com 
Twitter at SOS Different, and of course the trip off the tongue Facebook address is mo.moses.1048. And don't you forget it, Doc. Jenkins? Yeah. Up for the wings there. Five rounds rapid. Welcome to part two of the show, which we call Five Rounds Rapid. Um, you know by now, me and the doc just chuck out a th- chuck out a few points and, and chat about them. Before that, though, some information. Of course, tonight's story is uh, Delta and the Bannerman. Uh, uh, the person who owned a word processor was called <laughs> Malcolm Cole, um, and. This motherfucker, unbelievably, Doc, has worked on a bunch of American movies. The Bone Snatcher and 51st State being the most high-profile. 51st State starring Samuel L. Jackson and Robert Carlyle, for Christ's sake. Um, (laughs) The person who owned a camera was called Chris Clough or Clough? Clough, isn't he? Clough, like Brian. Clough, yes. Yeah, Chris Clough. Um, His non-who stuff would be EastEnders and Brookside. In Doctor Who... Uh, he also directed, check this, check this for a list, Doc. Terror of the Verboids, Ultimate Foe, Dragonfire, Happiness Patrol, and Silver Nemesis. <laughs> there we go, Doc. Make it that what you will. Um, what the fuck did he do to offend John Nathan Turner? <laughs> Seriously, what did John Nathan Turner have against that man? I know. Um, and the person who owned a Casio keyboard was called... Kef McCulloch. Um, <laughs> main cast, of course, Sylvester McCoy is the Doctor, Bonnie Langford is Mel. Um, other notables, Don Henderson as Gavrock, Belinda Main as Delta, Richard Davis as Burton, Stubby K as Wise Muller, Morgan Deer as Hawk. I think that was about doing on it. Where to begin, Doc? Where to begin? Do you want to kick off or, or, or shall I fucking rant? It's up to you. In the spirit of redemption. Yeah. Um, so I have to say this every 13 weeks or so. Um, in an effort to not make my life miserable, trying to contend with a, kind of a good chunk of Doctor Who that I either don't like or thought I didn't like, when I approach something like, oh, I don't know, let's say something from season 24, my go-to modus operandus is to try to understand, even if I don't like it, is to try to understand what the people making the programme thought they were accomplishing. Yeah. Um, with Time and the Rani, what they were trying to accomplish was to make a fucking Doctor Who story, and that was it. Yeah. Um, you know, a, a bunch of very inexperienced, very green people struggling with a very old concept under very difficult circumstances, and what they wanted to do was to finish a Doctor Who story, and that was it. Mm-hmm. Um, with Paradise Towers, they... They had this fantastic concept. Um, listeners can actually go and listen to what we've got to say about Paradise Towers, because uh, mm-hmm. I, I think we did quite a good job of redeeming that, at least for ourselves. Um, when it comes to this, I can't even understand what they think they were doing. Um, I mean, it's it hasn't even got any of the hallmarks that so we come to understand Andrew Cartmel as a a writer who was more ambitious than his then extreme inexperience permitted him to be capable of um 
which is to say, he had bigger ideas than he could, than, than, than he could ever pull off. Yeah, I'm just, I'm, I'm just looking look, look, look at his age, actually, Doc, as you, as you speak. Please continue, sir. Well, uh, he had bigger ideas than he was capable of pulling off at that time in his life. And God knows I'd rather have it that way than the other way around. Of course. Yeah, we, 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 we often say this, don't we, Doc? You know, we, 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 we do admire people, um, be it like in the, in, in the musical field or, or, or like the, the, the televisual or cinematic field, actually, you know, kind of, kind of strive for something and fail rather than just kind of play it safe. Well, failure can always be, failure can always be improved on. Sure. Lack of ambition can't. Yeah. Yeah. You, yeah. You, you can't you can't do better than something you're not even trying out in the first place. At this point, Doc, he he, he was an astonishing astonishingly young twenty eight. Well, I know, and I mean that's that that's a young age to hold a senior executive position in a very large state funded broadcasting organisation. Yeah. yeah, it really is. Yeah, I'm, a, I'm genuinely astonished by that. Um, I knew I I, I knew it was late twenties. Um. <laughs> I mean, up until this point, script editors have typically been in their 50s. Um, I don't even know, and this is a bit of lax research on my part, I don't even know if Andrew Cartmel had any original work to his name when he got the job of script editor. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We'll keep chatting, Doc, and I'll, I'll, I'll have a bit of a dig as, as, as we're going. Yeah. So, we've always had this understanding of Andrew Cartmore as uh, point number one, a true believer. Um, he wasn't a lazy executive spinning his wheels, marking some time on Doctor Who before he could go on to the heady heights of casualty. He believed in the format, he believed in what the format was capable of, and he really wanted to do a good job, um, and not just for the sake of his own career. We knew that he's extremely far-sighted as far as some influences that would become big in the next few years and we just carry on getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, which is the Alan Moore, Grant Morrison, Neil Gaiman axis of comic books um, and the spin-off media that would, would, would come from comic books. I mean, I, I don't think I need to tell anyone alive in the world today how big and how influential and how culturally dominant those things have gone on to become and how Andrew Cartmel might actually have been the first person in the world to really pay attention to them. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's all this good stuff. Um, before you before you move on to on, on to your next point, Doc, just for information, you know, looking on IMDb, no Doctor Who. That's his first credits. So literally nothing before. Yeah. So I mean, I, I'm, I suppose normally I'd be suspicious about. Like, who the hell writes a script, hires a script editor who's never been a writer before? Mm-hmm. Um, but then this is John Nathan Turner we're talking about. Yeah. Um, who even dares to guess at rationalizing the decision that John, John Nathan Turner was making at this point in his career? Mm. Um, did, but, you know, do you think they were just mates? Do you think you fancied him? What's going on, Doc? <laughs> I think, I think he was willing to work for the money. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he was willing to take a very high pressure job um, in exchange for very little money. Yeah. Um, and I think he was probably one of the very few candidates for the job um, who wouldn't have either 
rolled their eyes or run in the opposite direction as soon as they shot saw John Nathan Turner coming. Because mm. mm. um, I mean that 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 man had not done anything to make himself popular, liked, likable, etc. So you know all of the quality or or even well respected. You know all of the qualities that you think a senior executive in a large corporation should have. Yeah. Um, you don't have to be liked if you can use your your force of personality to make people do what you want. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't have to have good interpersonal communication skills as long as you can make people understand what you want and why they need to do it. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, uh, the the impression I get is that John Nathan Turner had neither the interpersonal skills nor the ability to wield or project authority. And he was actually so consistently undercut by his own bosses that he didn't even have any authority. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think he was kind of in the position of trying to make a television program um, and somehow having to either make do with very meager resources um, or people who would tolerate him for the chance to do that job. So Andrew Cartmel's script editor, and so effectively he's kind of got the the hand on the tiller. What tone were they going for here, Doc? I think this is kind of what you were touching on, isn't it? What, yeah. what exactly what tone is it they're aiming at here? Because I didn't have a single clue. No, uh, I mean, at, at least generally speaking with an Andrew Cartmel project, you can understand what they're trying to accomplish what statement they're trying to make, what barrier they're trying to push over, yeah, um, what kind of story that like what what new influence they're trying to bring in, you know, what Paradise Towers. To... Oh, sorry, Doc. Paradise Towers. Obviously, like horror inflected. You know, the, 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 those are the ideas, that, and we can see that even though it's not realised very well on screen, that's evident, isn't it? But here, it was baffling. And uh, I mean, is it? Is the tone they're going for? Is the tone they're going for cosy BBC entertainment mm. um, from the 1950s, which is an era that none of these people lived through or could possibly have remembered? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the, the, the nearest, um, the nearest that I could think of was was, was like a, a vaguely sci-fi version of Heidi High. I think the idea was it's a chance to showcase Sylvester McCoy's skills um, as an intimately physical entertainer. Mm. I, I, I applaud you, sir, for, for getting through the word skills there. We, 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 you know, with no kind of with no kind of scorn in your voice. Well, congratulations, brother. Um, playing the spoons is a skill. <laughs> it is putting, you're right. Putting, putting a ferret <laughs> down your trousers is a skill. Um, I mean lying on your back and masturbating into the air such that the ejaculate lands in your own mouth is also a skill. <laughs> Firing ping-pong balls from your vagina is a skill, Doc. Yeah, and so is smoking a, uh, smoking a cigar. <laughs> uh, none of these are skills that I wish to master <laughs> or watch anybody else with the mastery of. <laughs> um, but, you know, I mean, people... 
people have devoted more of their lives to pursuits that I find utterly valueless. There are, I suppose, people in the world, and there are many people who've gone on record as talking about what a massively charismatic individual Sylvester McCoy is. Um, I've heard stories about him like breaking up pub fights and, and, and diffusing really aggravational situations um, just by apparently, and I've heard this term used by more than just turning on the charm. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I, it's absolutely something like, um, but then um, I guess you'd have to meet him. I, I, I guess you'd, you'd have to get up close. But peculiarly enough, I was trying to think of a, a comparison. Um, you know, what kind of charisma could be projected by an odd-looking little man? And appropriate. I found myself thinking of Prince, um, who is the oddest-looking little man you've ever seen in your life. But sure. it's a matter of public record um, how much charisma he was capable of displaying mm-hmm. in his live show and mm-hmm. intimately. And, well... It's also a matter of public record the staggering amount of staggeringly beautiful women that he managed to get to go to bed with him. But I think, but I, I think it's also pretty much public record that he, he was packing a fucking hammer, Doc. I think in his, in his trunks. Ah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ah. Maybe Sylvester, maybe Sylvester McCoy was too. Maybe, sure. Maybe, maybe <laughs> was a ferret down his trousers. <laughs> yeah. It's possible. Um, and so. I think that's what, um, I think people have been doing their, like, their historical research and they've discovered, um, whether this is true or not, that the third Doctor era really kicked off when the producers realised that their best, um, uh, the best thing they could do is to let John Pertwee be, be himself. Um, I haven't actually seen any textual evidence of this having watched those bits of Doctor Who quite frequently. Um, and then you get a suspiciously similar story that, um, you know, eventually the producer realised that Tom Baker knew what he was doing and that, and, and that, that, that they were better off just letting Tom Baker be himself. Um, once again, um, haven't, I haven't seen any evidence that the producer and the actor didn't understand each other perfectly right from the beginning and didn't work nicely from the front. And so I think someone had the idea that, you know, what we should do is basically make a story that could fit around the Sylvester McCoy cosmic spoon player, pub entertainer yeah. interpretation of the Doctor. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Um, you know, it's his third story. He's not quite the new boy anymore. So now let's put Sylvester center stage. Let's give him a chance to shine. Oh, fucking hell. It did make me think, you know, you, you know, as he's kind of, uh, kind of rampaging around this, um, holiday resort place on a fucking like moped with a, with a sidecar. It did put me in mind of, John Pertwee, you know, where he is it in Planet of the Spiders, where, where they kind of just give him license to drive whatever fucking vehicle he wants because he's yeah, going, yeah. so just go and have fun, Doc, basically. Um, and it, it did put me in mind of that, you know, that it, it, it kind of had that feel, didn't it? You know, just they're, they're just kind of letting Sylvester play. Yeah, but I mean, like the big difference is that 
even if you don't like John Pertwee and even if you don't like the Third Doctor era, yeah. you can tolerate Planet of the Spiders because you know in four episodes' time it, 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 it will all be over. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> we've got <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, there's you, you can tolerate a lot from someone you don't even like mm-hmm. if you know that pretty soon you're going to part company and you'll never meet again. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um. I mean, I, it's the funny thing. I've kind of made friends with people I didn't think I liked very much very, very shortly before we had to go our separate ways and never see each other again. Oh, yeah. Well, that's, that, 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 you made me feel a little bit sad there, Doc, with that, with that statement. Yeah. Uh, I mean, so... Um, yeah, I, I think that's kind of the idea you're go, that, that they're going for. Um, but... I, it's only three episodes, isn't it? But all of that stuff where Sylvester is like titting about on a fucking moped just feels like filler. It's like you, we haven't got enough story here, even to fill, you know, like like the what hour and ten minute runtime, whatever the three episodes would yeah. be if, if, if you take out like the total sequence. You, you know what I mean? And recaps. And the massive recaps. The massive recaps. Yeah, you know, and. and and you've probably got five five minutes worth of footage just in those three episodes of people just aimlessly riding around with with some kind of exciting music playing in the background. It's absolute shit. Uh, even those bits. Can you imagine how great those bits would have been if if Douglas if Douglas Canfield was directed them? Oh sure, yeah, absolutely right. Douglas Canfield um, directing it and, and and get somebody like I don't know. Um, like Just Doug, Carey Doug Simpson or, or Paddy Kings yeah. to write the fucking music. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, then, um, I mean, I think when you watch the kind of lowbrow cinema that we enjoy, it's almost a truism that um, a good action scene is a treat for the gods, and there's nothing more boring than a bad action scene. Oh, right? yeah. Yeah, absolutely correct, Doc. Um, um, there's so many things that sort of almost get there. Um, because there's because there's no implied background. I mean, uh, you really, in theory, on paper, you really want to get behind the story of um, Delta, who is the only survivor of a genocide, um, and who is the only hope for the future of her entire race and culture. Yeah. But you don't ever feel that you don't ever feel the gravity of that, do you? Mm-hmm. No, you don't. No, no, no. It, 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 everything just feels really, really trivial. Um, I wouldn't even mind. I wouldn't even mind if they did it in a deliberately twee and whimsical. And um, I wouldn't even mind if they played it flat out as a comedy, um, because uh, I know the 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 end of an entire race seems like. Uh, if you like, the last survivor of a genocide or the last survivor of a catastrophe that's wiped out their race seems like an old subject for a comedy. But Red Dwarf did okay out of it. Sure. Yeah, you know, um, Seinfeld touches on, you know, gets um, kind of comedic mileage out of such things as bereavement and abortion. It's, it's doable, Doc. But you know, along with everything else, you, you you need some people with some skill at that thing, don't you? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I, I'm not saying I could do it. I couldn't do it. I'm not a good enough of a writer for that. But I can imagine how 
you could do a 50s comedy of manners um, and play it entirely as a com and, and play it entirely as I don't mean dark comedy. I don't mean comedy with a dark side or a reflective side. I mean play it as out and out comedy, even yeah. though the background to the story is um, a refugee who's fleeing a genocide. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and by the way, there's an army of genocidal killers mm. Mm. chasing her. Mm -hmm. um, I don't. I mean. Do you ever get the opinion that the Bannermen and Gavrock are particularly committed genocidalists? Well, the, the, the whole thing it, it, it just it comes across as in, kind of ineffective. Like, like the narrative that's being told to, told to the viewer, not shown, but told uh, to the viewer, it, it is incongruous with actually what our own fucking eyes and ears are telling us. Um, it, it doesn't make any... It, no, no. It, 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 no, it's, and I would say the same thing about the doctor. Actually, you know, kind of when he gets, when he tries to get all kind of authoritarian and strong, and commanding, it it, it just comes across comes across as so weak and ineffective. It's fucking laughable, Doc. And here's the thing, right? Um, for all that we were told, not shown, told mm -hmm. how influenced by Patrick Troughton. Sylvester Coy's performance was. How dare they? Well, yeah, you, I know, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, I mean, the... I've said this before, and I expect I shall say it, I'll say it again many, many times in the future. The whole point about the Doctor, as played by Patrick Troughton, is that he's never authoritative. Mm -hmm. um, he never appears to be taking the moral high ground. He's the little guy who you completely ignore mm. until that last terrible moment that you realise he's outwitted you completely and fucked you beyond belief. That's right. He, he turns the screw, you know, and, and you had no idea that, that that screw was there for turning. Yeah, he gets right. you right at the end. You're right, Doc. i tell you what, we're giving this a bit of a bashing at the moment. So I, I, I want to kind of uh, find some positives. I've got three, I think. I'm trying my best, Doc, right? Yeah, so I've got three. Um, can I... I was going to do this later, but... Go on. This, this, this might need to persuade what you're talking. Um, I think Bonnie Langford comes close to understanding the kind of program that she's supposed to be appearing in. Mm -hmm. That's one of my points, Doc. You, you continue, sir. But that is one of my points. Please, please continue. Um, what I don't understand, you've got. Um, you're in a holiday camp. You know that an intrinsic part of holiday camp um, is entertainment. Yeah. Um, and that's what ties... Why the fuck do you have a programme like that and cast Bonnie Langford in it and not have her sing and dance? Not have her sing and dance, Doc. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, yeah. You've got the perfect... My, my note that I made to, to bring up as, as part of these kind of uh, triumvirate of positives that I could extract from it. I, I wrote, Bonnie Langford is perfect in this type of story. Her, her high energy, relentless optimism is ideal. Um, yeah, I actually... I actually, for the first time ever, enjoyed Body Langford's performance as Mel. No doubt. Um, I had a marginal note. <clears throat> um, I mean, she's she's in this thing which is clearly so close, like like popular entertainment mm -hmm. set in the universe of like popular entertainment, yeah. with plenty of opportunities for singing and dancing. Why didn't? Um, it's not like she couldn't have done it. Why didn't they let her direct it? Sure. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. 
I'm not joking. What, no, 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 no. I, know, I, I laughed because it because it, it it's done, it's so obviously a, a good idea. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, Bonnie Langford of all people understands light entertainment and popular mm. entertainment and singing and dancing shows mm. better than any of the people who are actually making the program do. Yeah, no, you're right. Um, I mean, yeah. they've they've already got. I don't think I'm sticking my neck out too far. You've already got one of the world's leading authorities on that subject involved in your program already. Well, you've got two, haven't you? Because surely you can chuck Ken Dodd into the mix as well. Yeah, precisely. I mean, Ken Dodd is ill-used as a piece of stupid stunt casting, mm -hmm. um, you know, which is the fucking shadow of John Nathan Turner looming large over the whole thing. His appearance at the beginning, right near the start, I thought the, 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 the way that they've got him dressed up, I understand, you know, that they're trying to invoke that kind of like Butlin's Pontin shit from the 50s. I get that. But I just thought as a viewer, this is so kind of offensive and, and lowest common denominator. It's, it, it's like you're, you're, you're trying to be shit. Or you're deliberately trying to be shit. And, 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 and you're being really fucking successful at it. Oh, you know what I think it is? It's John Nathan Turner bending over backwards um, to try at all costs not to not to lose the Sun Readers. Mm. Mm. Um, you know, because at least the Sun Readers can like, oh, Daddy, Daddy, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Naughty Asher, here come the Diddy Men. Did you yeah. see Doctor Who start to add Doddy in it? Yeah. Yeah, and, and that's that's also the rationale behind fucking Bertie Bassett, isn't it? And yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> Bertie Bassett, yeah, the Candyman. I think you talked about. No, I'm 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 not talking about a, a terrifying hook-handed serial killer. Anymore. No, <laughs> uh, no we were trying to be positive. We were, we were trying to be positive, and we've ended up bashing it again. I was, I was, I was being positive. That was me being positive. Hang about on, the story. hang on. Let me give my second positive, Doc. And, and, and this is how, this is how fucking deep I had to dig to find positivity. That scene, quite near the start, where the Doc and Mel emerge from the TARDIS. And they're holding hands. I thought it was absolutely delightful. Yes, it was. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and I, once again, I think it's an indication of the performers having a bigger, having a better handle on the program they're making mm -hmm. um, than the people making the program. Um, this is kind of what I meant about, um, and I know you eventually did. And I. I, I you weren't precisely non-plus, but I know you weren't precisely plus either. This is kind of why I wanted you to watch Nova Jones. Oh yeah, um, because if if you're going to if you if you want to put Kiddie Appeal into a program, um, then just put you back into it. Just you know, do something that looks like you mean it. Mm -hmm. um, it seems completely appropriate to me that you've got like this child woman Mel and this child woman doctor um and in moments like that when so child woman Mel, doctor did, did, did you say it deliberately or was that um, did, did you misspeak child woman uh, doctors did you mean child I'm, man I'm, I'm convinced I said child ferret doctor actually ah go on yeah mm -hmm. um yeah uh yeah child man doctor you were right yeah um and um not in the Nana cherry sense of the word either 
friend is on another day, but the hero in your dream. Turn around, ask yourself. So you think you're gonna win this time, man, child? that moment it looks to me like the actors have got the hang of the two characters they're supposed to be playing and they've decided to do it straight um and not nudge nudge wink wink and not make it look creepy and not make it look odd mm. and yeah it's a lovely moment yeah i, I, I liked it I've, I, I've got my third one but then i'm out i must be honest if everything else is negative here's my third positive that line you've got an american guy um, well, the, the, you've got the two American guys. The older of them is make, pr- trying to place a call on on on, on like the the the, 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 like the police uh, public phone box, um, and mm-hmm. and he says, "This is Ange- this is Agent Jerome P. Weismuller speaking from Wales in England," which I thought was a very very funny line. Yes. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Yeah. I'm out. That's it. I'm done for the positives, Doc. Um. Here is what I think they wanted to do. In in the 80s, the 50s were viewed in a couple of different ways. Dirty Dancing had been a huge hit. Yeah. Um, And then so had lots of stuff like, um, I mean, um, I want to say um, all of those Brian De Palma soft porn thrillers. Um, from the early 80s um, and a couple of David Lynch films I've learned quite recently there's um, there's there's an expression for it and it's it's a 1980s styling or it's a 1980s style of filmmaking um, which attempts to attempts to invoke the spirit without being retro and there's an expression for this which is neon noir um so you had film Rich, noir. Rich, mate, you dropped out there, man. Can, can you go from the attempts to invoke? Yeah. Please. Um, attempts to invoke the 1950s without being retro. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's an aesthetic that crops up a lot throughout the 80s. Um, stuff is not done as period pieces. It's not done supposed to be in the 1950s, but it's got constant callbacks. Mm-hmm. So the style they're calling back to is what people call noir or film noir. Yeah. Um, there was a resurgence of that in the mid-1970s with Martin Scorsese. And this is quite a charming expression, the, the, the 80s iteration of it, um, where everything is very brightly coloured instead of being black and white. Um, and everything is very much of its time. It's called neon noir. Oh, yeah, um, lovely. Yeah. I love that expression. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so you've got these two um, retroactive touch points of how the 1950s are used in the 1980s. You've got the Ridley Scott, Brian De Palma, uh, David Lynch um, idea of using the 1950s as, I guess, a metaphor for post-war anguish, Cold War alienation, um, McCarthyism, Mm -hmm. um, pre-civil rights America, um, and then you've got this other way of using the 1950s, which is the dirty dancing model of... Nobody puts baby in a corner. Uh, which I suppose itself is the Grease model, isn't it? 
sure. Yeah, of no, course. Yeah, the dirty dancing was like the, the at the time modern iteration of Greece, wasn't it? Yeah, and you know, it's this idea of the 1950s being a time when things were innocent and it was okay that that, um, that they were innocent and um, there was no such thing as teen pregnancy. There was no such thing as booze or drugs or any of the nasty things that allegedly came along with the 1960s. Sure. Both of those views are bullshit. I think they, they, all of the people using them knew they were bullshit. Um, and I think this is Doctor Who's attempt to do one or other of them. It can't even make up its mind which one it wants to do, and it fails at both. Sure. It's a me thing, Doc, but uh, in general, I, 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 I dislike things that are set in the 1950s. Um, aesthetically, it's a period that just does not appeal to me. I don't... I hate the music from the 50s. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't like the, 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 the clothes and the style. And, you know, I dislike the like the, 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 the cars, the bikes. Um, it just doesn't work for me. So I suppose this story's off, you know, kind of on a hiding to nothing in some way. It, it, it's why I don't like Back to the Future as much as everybody else seems to, I suppose. But, but when I'm watching something critically, like, like we're doing for this project, I do try to put that to one side and, because I do recognise it's a me thing. So I try not to allow that to prejudice me. And I don't think it does. Um, it's tough, though. It's, it's just a tough period for me to, to, to enjoy. I know exactly what you mean. Um, and, and yet another crucial mistake that the story makes is the, the intended audience for Back to the Future were people who remember the 1950s and were now taking their own kids to go and see it, right? Right, yeah. But yeah, yeah. It, 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 it's a brilliant idea, you know, from kind of a, an accounting point of view. Yeah. Um, and obviously all of this goes back to American graffiti and the target audience for American graffiti were people who are our age in 1970 yeah. and could easily remember very nostalgically back to 1953, 1955 as a delightful time of their lives. Sure. American Graffiti! Where were you in 62? Grab that special one and jump into your candy-colored custom or your screaming machine, cruise downtown and catch American Graffiti. American Graffiti. Baby, what's that? It's a movie. Can you dig it? Can you dig it? Go back in time. Where were you in 62? Is that you in that beautiful car? Evidently, Coppola was on the money with that because the film was a huge hit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like our summer um, of 96, Doc. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, I mean, it, yeah, it's the same way. If um, Danny Boyle made a film this year called The Summer of 96. Mm-hmm. That would be all that would be needed to get me to go and see it. Of course, yeah. Mm-hmm. And we, we, we would skip into the cinema hand in hand and, and, and have an absolute blast, wouldn't we? Yes. Mm-hmm. So, um, because fundamentally it's not American, um, this Doctor Who story can't use any of that stuff as a crutch. Um, you'd have to be American to 
come to any real conclusions about what it was really like in the US in those days. But I don't think anyone would claim that the 50s were anything but crap in the UK. Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. Point of fact, there were some really cool motorbikes and some really cool aeroplanes. Um, it was a really high point of the UK as a global industrial power um, and scientific innovation and industrial innovation within the UK were at their peak. At, at their peak. Um, I can imagine the UK was a good place to go to work in the 1950s, but a crap place to spend your leisure time. Sure, yeah. Um, and the, the joke, you know, the macro terror, which was still close enough to that era for people to get the joke, the joke in the macro terror is that a future dystopia prison colony looks like a Butlin's holiday camp. Sure. Mm -hmm. That's the fundamental, you know, um, a Butlin's holiday camp is no one's idea of fun. The only reason people would ever claim to enjoy that would be because they were possessed by giant by giant crabs. <laughs> yeah, you know, oh, 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 the giant crabs, Guyan Smith's day, bugged again. Duck, we, as you know, yeah, we have a contractual on. obligation to mention Guy and Smith at least once. <laughs> That's forever. right. Yeah, Duck, we're, we're starting to run a bit long. Should we get on to part three? Yeah, Commander. You are authorized to use the mind probe. What? No, not the mind probe. Welcome to part three of the show, which we call Not the Mind Probe. Uh, here we talk about influences, both in other fiction and in real life at the time of broadcast. Let's ground it a bit. Broadcast date, 2nd of November, 1987 to the 16th of November. Um, US film releases of no three, cra three crackers here, I would say. Cry Freedom. This is the Stephen Beagle. Stand up to him any way he chooses. Conflict if he likes, but with an open hand too. Bind to Stephen Biko. Stephen Biko, black activist, a leader. He had the courage to speak out against oppression. You are forbidden to associate with more than one person at a time. Um, Death Wish 4. Don't laugh, Doc. Don't laugh. It's a good. Two kids looking for a new thrill. Hey, just like I promised. Yeah, sure. But this time, the thrill went too far. Crack has claimed another victim. Dealers are making up their own rules, and no one is able to stop them. Somebody has got to crack down. Who are you? Dead. Um, and the running man. What's inside the zone? The runners have three hours. They've got to go through all four game plots. Three hours or less, and they're going to need every second, because you know who's on their tail? Who? And you know what happens then? What? Right, without further ado, it's time to start running! Get set! Killian, I'll be back. Only in a rerun. Go! 
I think Death Wish 4, there's a scene where someone pulls a switchblade on him and he retaliates with a fucking rocket propelled grenade. I'm <laughs> <laughs> sure that happens. <laughs> he, he just replaced RPG. Here we go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, UK number ones at the time, just two. Uh, you win again by the BGs. And China in your hands by uh, 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 to power these Star Trek reference, of course. To power, there we That's go. Right. Any thoughts here? Well, it's it's a weird period in 1987 is is, is a weird period in, in in pop culture history, whichever way you look at it, because um, you can't get away from the fact that you've got the fucking black wings of the newly admitted to HIV outbreak mm -hmm. hovering over absolutely everything. Yeah, um, and uh, you know it's it's such a shadow over anything else that cost, can, can possibly have been happening. Um, so much so that I think any attempt to hark back to quote unquote a more innocent uh, a more innocent age when fun was just fun nowadays in 2022 looks reactionary and homophobic. Uh -huh. um, it's almost anyone who talks about you know the 50s as an age of imagined innocence, um, particularly in a week when you have a particularly uncompromising film about South Africa came out, mm. like you just said. Mm -hmm. Any era that's sort of trying to hark back to the 1950s um, as an age of innocence when everything was just fun and everyone drank milkshake. Yeah. Um, the dot, 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 and there were no fucking benders spoiling it for everybody. Uh, yeah. It, it almost doesn't need to be... It, it's... It's another one of those wrong place, wrong time. Mm. No benders, no darkies, mate. You know. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Times were good. Um, it. Um, I might be reading too much into it because I certainly can't imagine that was Andrew Cartmel's intention. Mm. I, 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 I don't even believe that was Andrew Cartmel's intention. Mm -hmm. um, it's just another. I think it's just another case of, like we we're talking about cosplay earlier on. There are certain things that you can do in the wrong place at the wrong time. Mm. Mm -hmm. There aren't explicit gender politics in this story, but there are explicit, express pol sort of express instances of the politics of reproduction now, aren't there? Mm -hmm. Go on, Doc. Well, presumably Delta looks mammalian, and she clearly has breasts, mm -hmm. but her race produces by means of eggs. Sure. Well, I mean, maybe this should be for the uh, 
you know, for the production section. But I did make a note about that. that actually, the, 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 like the, the, the end of episode one, kind of the, the, the pre-cliffhanger cliffhanger as, as kind of the, the alien baby is emerging from the egg. I, I really, really like that. Um, oh, it's a great effect. It's great. Yeah, it's great. But but then, I think they, I think the director makes a deliberate decision to have the, the the actress playing Delta hold the baby up to her bosom, um, and and of course, you know she, she you know she she's a fine looking young lady, and it, and it, and it definitely is drawing the male attention to her breasts. Um, and I thought that was that was curious. Why, you know, why does she need breasts if this is a reptile. I didn't. I didn't get it, Doc. Well, I mean, why why does she look so mammalian if she's yeah. a reptile? Uh -huh. um, or um, unless she's supposed to be a duckbill platypus, I'm not sure. Mm. <laughs> um, <clears throat> but you you can't go throwing around references to the politics of reproduction. Um, and then not follow them up, mm. and, and you know because the, there's there's science fiction dynamite in there. If yeah. you can just, but you've, you've you've got to go through with it. Yeah. Mm. Um, I mean, this it, it it seems to me to be following on from. Um, uh, do you remember the alien giving birth scene in uh, V? Well, you, you, you referenced it before, um, the alien birthing scene in V. I remember the... Um, oh, God, my, my mind's gone blank. I, 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 oh, it, it's... That, that's, a, um, that's a cliffhanger, isn't it, to the episode? Yeah, and and you, yeah. you think it's going to be like a human-looking baby, and, it, and, it, and, and it's like horrible... it is. Yeah, but, but it's kind of green and reptilian. Um, no, it, it's superficially human-looking, and then it's, it opens its eyes, and it's oh, got snake yes. eyes, and it's got snake eyes and a forked tongue. That's right. I, no, because <coughs> I'm confused because she gives birth to twins, doesn't she? And the first That's one right, yeah. is the reptile one, and then the yeah. second one comes out that looks human, and suddenly you see like the, the forked tongue flash out. Yes, that's it. <coughs> yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. And <coughs> I, I think at that I don't think the character even knows she's being impregnated by an alien at that point. Mm -hmm. Um, so I can't remember who the father is. I, th I think the father is one of the is one of the visitors, and she believes she still believes that they are kind of mammalian, doesn't she? Um, well, it, I, I think it's at, at that point in the story when, um, all right then, something that's a bit similar to Delta and the Bannerman, but shows you how much better this idea can be can be done. Um, there's there's two crucial plot points that are hinging. Um, uh, what will happen when the humans discover that the aliens are lizards in disguise? And then immediately off the back of that, well, does that matter? Mm -hmm. Does does it automatically mean that they're evil just because they're lizards? Sure. Mm -hmm. um, and um, I think the fact that one of the aliens has sort of very, very, very deceitfully and very exploitably 
um, impregnated, well, is using, is clearly a parasite who's using a human woman as the host for his brood. It's Brian, isn't it? It's Brian. It's, it's all coming back to me, Doc. Brian is yeah. the name of the alien. Yeah, it's coming back to me. Um, <clears throat> so, I mean, I, that's kind of, when I talk about the politics of reproduction and the implications it can have for a story and why you need to follow it through, um, that's the example I was, I, I, that's the example I've been trying to think of. That's how to do it well. Yeah, great. Yeah, it, 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 yeah, really, really good take, Doc. I, I fully um, agree. I mean, there's there's the constant references to apiculture throughout the story as well. So, and are we meant to assume that, that like Delta isn't actually a, a, a reptile? Um, she's some sort of bee or termite. Well, it's clearly an image, isn't it? The bees, the the the, the, the constant references to the bees and the honey. Is well, she's referred to as she's referred to as the Shimmer on Queen as well. That's right, yeah. Which I don't think is a political rank. Uh-huh. Um, you know, it, 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 if, if, I, if I'm writing something and I'm making reference to, like, to bees and the Queen, that, 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 that is definitely, definitely suggesting some kind of, I don't know, kind of matriarchal, you know, but, but a single matriarch dominated yes. society. Yeah. No so uh, I think when I first saw this, my my automatic assumption was that she's the the queen, and as in the nature of beehives, um, a queen can be made by force feeding it with royal jelly, mm-hmm. um, and that queen is then either it's unknown whether it's expelled or whether it leaves of its own accord, but that would then generally start a new colony. And that's kind of hinted at here, isn't it? With, with, yeah. with the human guy eating eating the eating that stuff. And he, he, he kind of starts to transmute into Delta's race somehow. Yeah. Um, so my assumption was that the um, <clears throat> the Bannermen were like um, rebel drones from her hive. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, so they've gone rogue. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a whole bunch of other potentially interesting stuff that just isn't followed up on. Yeah. Um, and I mean, if we're talking about apiculture being used as a metaphor for a matriarchal society, this thing doesn't even have Nicolas Cage punching Lily Sobieski in the face. <laughs> You're talking about the majestic uh, <laughs> remake of uh, <laughs> what's, what's the fucking film, Doc? Um, Rick and Man, you Rick idiot. Man, there we go. Yeah, yeah, yeah brilliant. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Nicholas Cage punching Lily Sobieski in the face, but when he punches her, (laughs) he punches her with enough force to floor Drago. Um, (laughs) And like the the noise that's foleyed on is like a car door slamming, overlaid Uh with a sack of wet sand being hit with a pick handle. And it's just this whack! Yeah. She's only a fragile little thing. It made her head explode. Oh, God. It's one of the funniest things in cinema ever. Hey, Doc, this, this was kind of peak um, Reagan, wasn't it, when this was broadcast? Would I be yes. correct in that? Yeah, so yeah. who the fuck were, these, were the American guys and why were they in the story? What was their narrative purpose? Um. Well, what the American secret police would have been doing at that point would have been hunting down rogue communists who may or may not even have existed. I don't even know what their alleged narrative function is in this story. No, I didn't get it. The whole time through, I was just scratching my head thinking, why 
on earth are you in this story other than maybe some kind of you know kind of cross-atlantic appeal yeah i mean i didn't know whether they were there to try and obtain bannerman weaponry i didn't mm -hmm. know whether they were there to try and get hold of alien technology yeah um i didn't know uh, being three episodes I suspect we had a whole episode's worth of stuff chopped out. Sure. Thank God for that. Um, I mean, I don't know whether they were looking for spies. I don't know that they were... I don't know whether they were looking for communists. I, I, I don't even know. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, there's... I would like to say there's so many potentially good ideas that aren't followed up on in the story. There's one potentially... There's one potentially, potentially good idea, which is stuff about the politics of reproduction. Mm -hmm. There's a bunch of other ideas that aren't followed up on. Yeah. But I don't necessarily think they're good ideas. Sure. Um, sure. In the end, this is the product of people who are... It's not like Paradise Towers. Um, it's not like people who have a vision of the grand concept they want to bring to the screen, but they don't yet have the skills and experience to be able to pull it off. It's not that. It's a bunch of people who have the vaguest sketch of something that they don't really understand because they, mm. don't, they don't know fuck all about life in the 1950s because they're too young. Sure. We'll see this a lot in, say, um, Remembrance of the Daleks, where you have like that appalling, insultingly patronizing, like the. They want to make a big deal about, oh, look, 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 we're modern Doctor Who. We've got a black character, except the black character does nothing but pop up to talk about slavery for a bit. He's not even a character. Right. Mm -hmm. um, he's he's literally there as some virtue signaling. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, then there's a bit where Ace has to have a speech about how the National Front aren't very nice. Yeah. Because... Apparently, meta. You know, it, it's it's this. This is the episode. This is the Doctor Who story for which metaphors are never enough. Mm. Mm. Um, I do, you know, it, it, that story is notable though because it it, it kind of um, there's one little shot in that story that really kind of stuck with me and made me kind of realise that progress was happening and that progress was a good thing. And it's there's there's just a shot of a of the window of a B and B. And it says, um, I think it says, no dogs, no Irish, no blacks. Um, and as a young man, that, that, that really that, that, that really made me think. It ne it it just still looks like, but it, it still looks like virtue signaling to me. It, mm. it, it looks like, um, you know, we're going to make a big point about Ace noticing the sign in the window mm -hmm. and take it out. Sure. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, we're we're, we're going to have like the black man who owns the cafe. But the only, we, we don't allow him to be a character. We don't allow him to do anything except talk about slavery. Just a cipher, basically, for the first, well, you know. Um, as, if, as if that's all black people talk about ever. Sure. Mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, as, as, as if that's the only thing worth engaging a black person in conversation about. I don't think, oh God, how does, it's the work of people who don't have confidence in the metaphors they're invoking. Mm. Mm. Um, or it's the work of people who saw We'll keep the example of Doctor Who. Yeah. Who saw Genesis of the who, who saw Genesis of the Daleks and thought, yeah, but you know the problem is 
they're relying on these metaphors all the time and the audience might not get them. Mm. Um, yeah, so let's spoon feed them. Doc, yeah. it's time to run a bit long and we've still got our um, part four to do. So should we do that right now? Yeah, let's do part four. Overweight under powder museum piece. Welcome to part four of the show, which we call Overweight Underpowered Museum Piece. Here we just talk about production, costumes, direction, etc. Um, I think we've touched on most of this stuff already in, in, our, in our kind of general waffle. There's one tiny thing I have to mention before yeah. we move on from influencers. <laughs> you mentioning the sign in the window mm. in remembrance of the Daleks. Um, towards the end of September last year, there was a minor scandal. And I think there might be a retroactive prosecution because it turns out that um, Pontins, not openly, but did actively operate a no Irish, no blacks policy in the 1950s. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. And um, in fact, admissions clerks um, had were, were issued out with a list of family names that might indicate people of Irish or Caribbean origin. Mm-hmm. I think. There Sorry. Was a sto- no, that's all right, Doc. I think there was a story about that much more like in the last couple of years where a company's got yeah, I think just before i think just before christmas yeah yeah oh is that right yeah yeah mm-hmm. yeah absolutely dreadful um the i think we've touched on most of the production stuff that the, 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 that i wanted to talk about the bit we didn't really mention maybe tangentially but not properly is the fucking music that honestly i mean Fair play to them. They do warn us, don't they? Because as soon as it starts, the music is so fucking heinous, you know you're in for a fucking shit ride. It, like, from an audio point of view. it That opening sequence, I was watching it with, with, like, with my headset on. I wanted to take my headset off and like, jab screwdrivers into both of my fucking ears just to spare me the pain. Any potential kind of tension or drama that could have been extracted from this from this story is just so radically undercut by the you know by the, by the musical outpourings of of, of, of Mr. Kef McCulloch. It it's genuinely astonishing, Doc. It's astonishing. We've said this before in things that Kef McCulloch gets involved in, um, and last time we just said, like, why didn't they just go to BBC stock science oh, yeah, fiction? That's right, yeah, you've got the archives, um, man. This time, um, couldn't they have found some shit retro 50s rock and roll band? Yeah, oh, that's a good point, though. Who yeah. have worked for Peanuts. Yeah, um, yeah, so, I don't know, you know, maybe, I don't know, maybe, maybe, maybe these were too late, but, you know... Like the like the 80s equivalent of something like Rocket from the Crypt, something like that? Um, no, nothing even that original. No. I, I bet you, you wouldn't have had... I bet you, any given Saturday in East London, yeah. you could have found... You, um, you could have found a teddy boy night upstairs at some pub. Sure. Um, and there'd have been some bunch of no-opers pounding out Billy Fury covers um, and a couple of original numbers. Yeah. It'd have been delighted at the chance to have um, earned a couple hundred quid and get their faces on telly. Sure. Yeah, no, 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 you're right, Doc. Yeah, yeah. It's a mystifying decision. And and just Sully's, this entire era of Doctor Who, does because even when the story is okay, you've got this 
obstacle to kind of almost kind of fight through to enjoy it. I'm going to stick my neck out here. Yeah. With an era-appropriate soundtrack. Yeah. The atmosphere that I think they were going for, you could almost have pulled it off. Um, I'm, I think era-appropriate music, I think proper era-appropriate music could have gone a long way to saving this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. Instead of which the contributions of Kef McCullough just absolutely bury it. It's a mystery, Doc. Have you got any production points? Or are we kind of getting to the end of the episode now? What do you think? Um, it's another one of the, I mean, if you're going to do period pieces, it's the BBC, so of course the costumes are great. Mm-hmm. Um, the day that the BBC can't do proper period costumes is honestly the day to cancel the license, the, the, oh. the TV license. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the costumes. Um, I thought the Chimeron baby was a really great effect. Yep, agree. Um, um, but I know this point with the budgets that they had and the fact that they were chained to be to come. You're not telling me there wasn't some post-production effect they couldn't have used to make it. Look, I, they should have done it in black and white. They should have done it in black and white. The whole story. Um, yeah. Yeah, that that would have been absolutely. That would have been a kind of a radical and brave decision, and would have totally made made the thing feel more plausible, wouldn't it, Doc? Well, the the color videotape they're using at the moment in Paradise Towers, where everything's supposed to look like a future nightmare, it kind of works. Yeah, but mm-hmm. it doesn't come even close to working when you're all outdoors and it's supposed to be the fifties. Sure. But the look of the whole production is screaming, it's videotape and it's 1987. That's right. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. It uh, pins uh, it at a point in time, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, if they'd have put a diffuser over the lens and done it in black and white and then cracked up the contrast in post-production, it wouldn't have convinced anybody, but it would have superficially looked like the era it was trying to invoke. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, there's... It seems to me there's so many simple decisions that they they could have. I mean, I, I know what the, I know what people would have said. Oh, you can't make it in black and white. You'd have alienated the viewer. What you'd have alienated the three dozen viewers that you already had. Um, yeah. By the way, and all of those all of those people were clearly committed to watching Doctor Who through thick and thin because they don't get much thinner than this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. When this was on, um, very shortly afterwards, I'd say about an hour and a half later on the same night. There was a, a a sort of true crimes series that was presented by Edward Woodward, hot off the Equalizer, mm-hmm. um, and they did an episode about Bible John, um, who was a serial killer in Glasgow. Um, and they did that in black and white. They did the whole episode in black and white, mm-hmm. um, and it didn't seem to anyone that it was an odd thing to do in a um, a recreation or a restaging of a real crime. Um, the producer obviously said, it's taking place during that era, we'll do it in era appropriate, we'll do it in an era appropriate production style. Sure. I, um, I often think about this, Doc. You know, imagine a time machine is invented mm-hmm. and I travel back to 1910, let's say, in my head, that's going to be in black and white, and, and I'm going to be genuinely astonished when I arrive there, and it's, and it's all in colour. Um, 
But the thing is, if you if you went back 100 years earlier than that, because the Jane Austen adaptations have always been in colour, you'd imagine the 1820s were in colour now, wouldn't you? Oh, yeah, very good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, very so, strange. Um, the world is probably in colour um, up until the invention of cinematography in about yeah. 1880. That's at right. which point, the whole world turns into black and white. <laughs> um, and then, like, throughout the 40s and the 50s, it's... It starts off with bits of colour. But it's, it's, months, it's, it's months and months, isn't it, at that point? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, um, yeah. And, uh, and then, like, at some point during the 50s, it gets wider as well. <laughs> <laughs> the world stretches from left to right. That's right. And, and today, the world is fucking massive. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The dinosaurs definitely. are definitely in colour. Yeah. Um, you know what? Um, <laughs> I, I think we've managed to get through this whole thing without just ragging on us. Um, yeah, no. There's, there's, there's the old punk rock criticism, isn't there? Um, you know, so you think you could do better then? Mm -hmm. um, Here's the thing, though, I've, I've made a note. I've made a note here. Um, hang on. It, this is my note. I am pretty sure, Doc, that given the same budget, me and you could make something better than this. Now, I'm not saying that we direct it. I'm not saying that we write it or that we perform in it. We have the same budget and we hire a professional director, professional actors, a professional writer, and we ask them to, to, to come up with something. I think we could do better than this doc. Well, yeah, so I mean, um, here's, um, here's what I do. Um, I, take the, I take the script treatment and I pay probably through the arse, but I get Croft and Perry to rewrite the script. Mm -hmm. And simple as that. Mm -hmm. um, then, like I said earlier, I give it to Bonnie Langford to direct. And if she wants to hire Wayne Sleep as a creative consultant, she can do that too. Fabulous. Um, they can dance I their get... hearts away. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> I hire some... I, um, I ask um, the guy who plays Gavrock um, to... Don Henson. Don Henderson. Um, to get me a assistant cameraman from Thames Television who knows how to shoot a fucking action sequence. Mm -hmm. um, I ditched the stupid CIA idiots. Um, and um, I sack Kef McCulloch and I offer Billy Comet and the Wildcats mm -hmm. ah. 200, um, 200 quid um, yeah. to record numerous versions of Shaking it all night long. Yeah, I would, or, I would, I would also cut off Kef McCulloch's fingers to make sure that he never <laughs> commits such musical atrocities ever again. Um, or just get him a job with BBC Department of Religious Affairs. Let's do that instead. That that, that sounds kinder. Um, you know, he he he, he could um, he could arrange the music for songs of praise. Sure. Okay, I accept that, Doc. I, I, um, I accept that proposition. Yes. <laughs> I don't want to hurt the man. I just want him to stop making fucking music. <laughs> yeah. um, Are we done, Doc, do you think? What do you, what do you reckon? Yeah, I mean, it, what I know about Andrew Cartmel just still leaves me with such... Affection is the wrong word. Just sympathy for what he was trying to do yeah. without the resources to do it. Mm -hmm. But what he did here was... What, what he and John Nathan Turner did was to make a bunch of fuck-awful decisions. Well, did, 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 
and, and and the Kef McCulloch, I mean, we were joking about it, but, you know, the usage of Kef McCulloch is unforgivable because there is no reason to use a composer that is so blatantly god-awful. No excuse, Doc, for that. Um, the thing is, I don't think this is as bad as Kef McCulloch ever gets. Oh, Christ. Okay. Well, that's something to look forward to. Um, um, I, I mean, Mark Ayres ain't great, but... I remember thinking at the time when, when, when Mark Ayres takes over at the beginning of the next season, um, oh my God, the music's so much better. Right, okay. Because mm -hmm. I, I, I don't think this is even as bad as Kevin McCullough gets. Fair enough. I think we're coming up on that. Oh, really? In, Dragonfire's worse? I think so. Oh, Christ. Okay, well, I look forward to that in about three months' time. Doc, I think we're done, aren't we, really? Um, it kind of feels like it's petering out. Um, unless, unless you've got something absolutely vital to say. I think this is the low point. Mm. I never think even Sylvester McCoy era, I don't think it ever gets this bad ever again. But it can't, can uh, it? Well, I mean, I, I have a bunch of personal beefs with the Happiness Patrol. Mm -hmm. Um... There's a whole bunch of stuff about the Happiness Patrol that makes me like it, that, that, that makes me kind of angry. Mm -hmm. um, but it's still a super... Yeah, I think this is, bad. this is as bad as it gets. This is the Nadia. Uh, well, uh, uh, I mean, this, this isn't crawling on the floor looking for your last bag of Coke. This is crawling on the floor... Um, looking for mouse droppings in the vain hope that they might have something like the same effect. Sure, yeah. So we have reached rock bottom, yeah. and the only way now for the McCoy era is up. Slowly. Okay, okay. Oh, you give me hope, sir. You give me hope. And incrementally. Right. Good. All we've got to do is concentrate on making sure that today is no worse than yesterday. That's right, yeah. Hour by hour, if necessary, minute by minute, Doc, you know. Yeah. That's what you do, man. Ah, it's five to three. I want a fucking fix. Now let's get to three <laughs> o'clock without one. I'll be okay. Oh, it's three o'clock. I did it. Let's get to five past three. Let's get to ten past three. Let's and never, ever day. watch fucking... Let's never, ever watch Delta of the Bannermen again. Yeah. And then one day you notice that three o'clock has come and gone and it's six o'clock already and you didn't even notice. And thus, Andrew Cottnell's vision has been accomplished. There we go. That's what, <laughs> that's what we've learned. <laughs> that about does it for this episode of Do Different Doctors Same Old Shit. Uh, join us next time, guys, when we will be discussing Christopher Eccleston's third story, The Unquiet Dead. You're going to be there, Doc? Of course I am. See you then, brother. Bye-bye.